Welcome to the Thy Neighbor podcast, conversations with everyday people who are crushing it and making the world a more lovely place to inhabit. I am your host and occasional solo caster, Tracy Robbins King. If you are inspired by this episode and someone comes to mind as you listen, share this with that person. If you have benefited from the podcast, please like, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean. Your ratings, reviews, and shares make a difference and allow this podcast to reach more remarkable people like you. Lori Shirley grew up in Utah in a family of 14 children. She has a bachelor's degree in math education and a minor in history from BYU-Idaho. Jeffrey and Lori have been married for 12 years. They currently live in Okinawa, Japan, where Jeffrey teaches elementary on a U.S. military base. They've lived overseas for four and a half years, and Lori enjoys reading, eating whole foods, plant-based, wow, painting, hiking, and being in love with her husband. She is such an example to me, and I will tell you guys from the time... I met Lori. The thing that impressed me was how validating she was about her husband. And I just have to tell you guys, Lori loves her husband, but I feel like she is one of the best examples in the entire universe of being a validating person to the person that is your VIP in life. Lori, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Let's start off with your thoughts on marriage. First of all, thank you for having me. My life goal is to be on a podcast so I can retire now. And I'm really excited about that. I love being married. It is like the greatest joy in my life. Um, I know like the hierarchy is supposed to be like the Lord and then your spouse. And sometimes I think I might switch those a little bit. Um, That's how much I like Jeffrey. And I just feel like it's such an honor Um, when he asked me on our, so he asked me out and we went on our first date. And then at the end of our first date, he asked me on a second date and I've never felt so honored to be asked on a second date before. And that's just how I still feel that he chose me to be his wife and that he has continued to choose me. I just, I love it. I, I think I'm the luckiest. I hit the jackpot. So I love being married. It's my favorite thing in the world. And why do you love Jeffrey so much? What's not to love about Jeffrey? (laughs) He is the most sincerely good person. He just wants to be a good person. There are, he's funny. He's talented, but those are just like bonus, bonus tracks. He loves God. He loves me. I mean, we could fill a whole hour of all the things I love about Jeffrey. He's just so good. And he's so good to me. That's not enough. I can't even, I can't even, (laughs) as much as I gush about him, I like can't come up with the words still to properly gush about him. He's just, he's wonderful. He's, I had really high expectations, like really high standards. And he just has exceeded all of them. It's it's wonderful. Were your parents, they have a healthy marriage. Did you come from a good example? Where did you get such a validating spirit? Cause you do have such a gift. And I know that Jeffrey would say the exact same thing. Like I won the jackpot. (laughs) 
Yes. My parents love each other. And I was just talking to my mom the other day and saying like, if I hadn't seen my parents' relationship and I just saw other, not that all the marriages I've witnessed are horrible, but I've seen plenty of the not good. If I hadn't seen my parents' marriage, I don't think I would have seen any point in being married, but my parents have a very loving marriage. And my dad is a words of affirmation. He would always say, kids, guess what? And we'd be like, what? And he'd say, I love your mother. And we were like, oh, like he got us again. He almost always tricked us with it. But just the way that he would like come at it or just like driving somewhere or just doing the dishes, whatever. Anyway, but he was always telling us how beautiful, sweet, spiritual, smart, whatever that we were. And he was also always saying those things about my mom telling us how gorgeous she was and how is, I should say. And yeah, he just really, really sees the good in people and focuses on the good. He just, he did it today. My daughter, like just got a haircut she wanted. And it's like a pixie cut, like all of a sudden it's a big change. And so she wanted to call grandma and grandpa. And the first thing my dad says, well, you're still adorable. And I still want to give you a hug and a kiss. He's just like always very good at like the words of affirmation. So I think that's where I learned it. What a beautiful example. I want to applaud your dad and just tell him like, way to go. (laughs) That is so amazing. I feel like that has blessed your own family that validation that you give your husband and your children, how that's blessed your family. Well, my kids know that Jeffrey's my favorite. First of all, (laughs) I could do better at validating my children. Let me find the quote. If you want to have a healthy marriage, pull the weeds and water the flowers. And I think that is the same with like children. We all know that we're deeply flawed. Like we're all super messy and it doesn't help us become better when people are like, listen, here's what you're really messy. Here here are the ways that you are not good at life. And it's easy to do that. Like, especially I struggle with that with my kids. Like it's easy to be like, you got to fix this. You got to change that. Um, But that never strengthens a relationship. And not that sometimes it's not necessary, but Rascal Flat says it best when they say, because you love me like I am. Like, that's what, Je- that's what Jeffrey will say. Like, I'm a great husband because I don't know he, that he would say he was a great husband, but he would say like, you love me like I'm a great husband. So like, what else could he be? Not that it's my fault. He's awesome. Cause I don't think that, that it's my fault, but like when we love each other for like the best that's inside them, then the best comes out more. That, that- was really sloppy way to say. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. And we will all understand no matter what. Well, it seems like you do actively choose to focus on the good and call it out in your marriage. I did ask you in this question, I was like, please say it's your gift that God gave you so that the rest of us can feel better. But I know, I know you're a human. So of course you see flaws and of course you see imperfections. But I'm curious, have you just trained yourself to the point where you just appreciate all that is good. Okay. So I, I want to say like, oh, I'm a naturally gushy person and like a naturally affirming person, but I used to also be kind of negative. I was very self-depreciating in high school. Like I would make, I would try to be funny and kind of insult myself to try to be funny. And someone called me out on it one time. They were like, 
but that's not fun for the rest of us, but it's a hard habit to break. So what I did is I switched and instead of trying to be funny by like being self-depreciating, I tried to be funny acting like I thought I was super cool. I'll make comments like, oh, I'm from a family of 14 kids, but for sure I'm the best looking one. Or when people say, where do you fit in your family? I'm like, oh, I'm definitely the favorite. That's not true. I'm not the best looking. I'm not the favorite, but that's funnier. And it like, it, it brings a positive energy. And so I think that a shift happened sometime in high school when my friend kind of called me out on it. Like it's not fun when you are negative. And so that's, I think when the shift kind of began, words of affirmation is my secondary love language. It's like very high on my love languages. And so like, that's what I need. And that's, that's what I give to people very abundantly. So in some ways, I do think that it's a gift that like I'm predisposed to be this way a little bit, but for sure, it's also something that I'm very conscious of as well, except with Jeffrey that just like bubbles out of me and I can't contain it. I with like, with my kids, I'm like more conscious of making sure I'm pointing out things that they're doing well. But with Jeff, I'm just like, Oh my goodness. I love you so much. It's weird for people, but it's fine. Oh, it's amazing. And what have you observed from married people around you that has motivated you to keep your marriage as number one priority when kids can easily distract you? Yes. Kids are distracting. (laughs) I mean, we already talked about my parents, which is kind of the note that I had written down there. But I think the thing that I've learned the most is that we have a choice in how we view our marriage. There were times, usually like right after I would have a baby and I had severe postpartum depression, there were times where I thought for sure, like we weren't going to last. We're getting divorced, which is funny to think about because whatever, we were never even close to that. But we get a choose how we think about our marriage. We get to choose whether we think there's hope or not. No matter how hard our marriage is, we get to choose whether we see the potential in our spouse and whether we meet them where they're at instead of expecting them to change so that we can feel more comfortable or or that it can be easier for us. One thing that I think really changed our marriage was we had the opportunity because we lived in Rexburg to work in the temple as a married couple, like to be ordinance workers. And I just remember seeing Jeffrey officiating in the temple ordinance and realizing he is going to be a God someday. And I get to watch that happen. That's so cool. He has this potential and this goodness inside of him And I get to like be part of his journey to get there. And that's so cool to like witness that. We already had a good marriage, but but serving in the temple really did change our marriage for the better and make it like more sacred and holy. And yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I see family as a place where we practice becoming better people, but it can be a really messy experience. And so what purpose or purposes do you see in family and marriage? I think life is messy and can be a refining experience, whether we're married or not, or whether we have the opportunity to have children or not. So I do want to like say that first, that we all have refining experiences and for sure having kids is one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Jeffrey and I will both tell you, we thought we were pretty cool until we had kids. And then we were like, wow, I'm super messed up having children has brought to my attention many things in my life that need to be refined. And for other people, not being able to have children or not 
having a spouse or other things. It's not all about either like marriage or not marriage either, but like other people have other refining experiences. That just happens to be one of the major ones in my life at this time. I thought I was good with kids until I had kids. (laughs) And I'm still good with other people's kids. Let me tell you, like I can handle someone else's kids tantrum, like nobody's business. But when it's my child, it's different. So I think Christ refines us and our life circumstances show us in what ways we can better come to Christ and, and allow him to refine us. I guess that's my answer. And how have you gone to Christ? What has been some of the ways that you've been able to latch on to him when you're wondering, wow, is this my life or is this me right now? Is this what I just did? First of all, I'm from a family of 14 kids. Like I thought I was going to have 12 children. (laughs) And even when, like as a kid, like I'm going to have so many kids. And even when we were first married, I was like, I want 10. Jeff wanted five. I'm the one having them. We're going to have 10. And then I had one and giving birth to my first child beat the crap out of me. (laughs) I don't know how else to say it. It was the darkest time of my life when I thought it was going to be the most joyful time of my life. And it's awful to feel that way. And to feel like the one thing that I'm going to be forever (laughs) is the one thing I'm really, really bad at. And, you know, it took a little bit of talking to other people to realize that my experience isn't everybody's experience. I for sure had very severe postpartum depression. So the first day that I felt well enough to go to church, Jeff stayed home with our daughter And so I was by myself and I walked in and there was a picture of the savior and it hit me the pain that I was in, the physical and emotional pain that I was in and the darkness that I was feeling at that time in my life. Like he had chosen to feel that for me personally and for every other mother who's ever had postpartum depression. And for every other person and all the pain and all, like even just feeling like my postpartum depression and all the other women postpartum depression, that would make him bleed from every pore. So then compiling that with like our sins and everything. And I just gained a greater appreciation for what he did for me so that I didn't have to feel alone in that, like that I knew him connecting to all of us in that way, like connected me to any woman who's ever experienced it. Anyway, I obviously could do better at seeking Christ in my life, but I appreciate more fully the sacrifice that he made for us. And I'm so grateful. I I tell my kids this. I will for sure let you down because you have a human mom and you're not supposed to learn to rely on me. You're supposed to learn to rely on Christ. And so I'm so grateful for him, like taking that burden so that I don't have to carry it because for a while I tried to, like, I tried to be the perfect mom and I tried to figure out how to fix my kid when they were really struggling with this thing. And one day I just realized my children are not my, this sounds horrible. My children are not my problem. Not that children are problems. That's not what I mean, but like, this is God's child. (laughs) And I have to just like rest in knowing that God loves my child more than I do. 
that God loves my child with perfect, infinite wisdom and mercy and compassion. And that I don't have to carry that. I don't have to do it. He needs me to love my child. He mostly needs me to love him and like our heavenly father and heavenly mother. I need to love them and then they can help me love my child. One of my children has been a lot harder to love than other of my children. And there was a time in my life where just like every, day after day after day, it I just was emptied and emptied and emptied and never got anything in return. And I realize now that like, I didn't need anything from my child. That's not so like, I understand that I've come a long way since this, this time, but we went on a family vacation and there was this huge tantrum and I felt so empty. And I told Jeffrey, I don't love my child. And he was like, oh yes, you do. And I'm like, no, you want to think that I'm a good person that I do. But every day of my life for the last year has been this awful experience and I have nothing left. Like I've given and given and given. I've, there's nothing left inside me. And so I, I never lie to my kids about anything, but I told heavenly father, I'm going to lie to this child and tell them that I love them. And you are going to have to put that back into my heart. Cause I can't do it as a physical human being. I was not capable and so I did. I lied and looked at my child and said, I love you. Good night. You know, whatever. And day after day. And you know what God did? He sent me someone else, a woman at church that I didn't know super well. But she saw me one day as I carried my child who was like clawing the church walls and screaming at the top of their lungs and throwing the most humiliating tantrum at church. And she came up and she said, I know you need help. I don't know how to help you. And I said, if I knew what I needed, I could get it, but I don't know what I need either. And anyway, eventually we settled on, I just asked her to come up and just play with my child while I was at home still and like mopping the floor or whatever. I watched her love my child and it reminded me that my child was lovable and that I could do it too. And I like, there's part of me that like hates that part of me. But at the same time, I learned a really valuable lesson and that my heavenly parents were there and sent her to love my child when I just couldn't do it. I feel like a lot of women, in my experience, I'm not a mother yet. And I feel like when I've watched people in my life become parents, it has been the most humbling experience. It's been very humbling for them. And in a lot of ways, I've seen some of my friends feel like they just broke, like it just broke them and that it just did something to them that they were like, what happened? What, what happened to me before, me before this time? And I wonder why, why? Because if life were easy, we wouldn't need God. Wow. And to teach us to rely on our heavenly parents instead of relying on ourselves because we are mortal humans. <laughs> and the thing I learned though, too, and maybe I already said this, I'll say it again, was like, God doesn't need me to be a perfect child to my children. 
they already have perfect parents. We all have perfect parents. So that's not my purpose. My purpose isn't to be the perfect parent. It's to point them to their perfect parents and to their perfect brother. And there's so much like relief in letting go of that because it's easy. I think a lot of the brokenness that comes from becoming a mother and like realizing how messed up you are and even like what you're capable of, like the thoughts that you're capable of, like is horrible, like what you become capable of. Okay. So I think that brokenness comes um, from living in the shame of our imperfection. And there's so much healing in learning that we don't have to live there. We don't have to dwell there. We don't have to pitch our tents toward our shame and our imperfection because like, I'm going to keep messing up. I'm going to probably yell at my kids again. I don't do it as often now because I let go of, of the standard of that was awful. I'm never going to do it again, but I know I'm going to, I just stopped dwelling there. But for a long time, I did for a long time, years, I felt like somehow I got the wrong children. (laughs) Like they deserve a better mother. I'm not cut out for this. Why did God ask me to be a mom when he knew that I shouldn't have been like, why couldn't I have gotten the trial of, of something else instead of this? Because I lived in the shame of how much I failed. And when I let go of that and I just stopped dwelling there, I became a way better mom because I accepted my brokenness. I accepted like my imperfections and stopped holding myself to that standard to be the perfect parent. Like I never will be. So why try? And I don't mean like why try being a good mom, but like, I'm not going to try to be perfect. What do you feel like underlies perfection? Do you know what is maybe the motivator for perfectionism or being perfect? I think we want to feel good all the time. We can pretend like, oh, we want to be perfect because Christ commanded us to. I think we just want to feel good and even sometimes being a good parent doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good when my child is like screaming in rage and I'm like, I'm here for you. I love you. Let me know when you're ready to talk to me. It doesn't feel good. It feels like, ah, like inside. Like Anyway, so I think we want to feel good. And we think that if we're perfect, we'll feel good. That just blew my mind. I've never heard somebody describe it like that. And I feel like this has been an answer to my own prayers over the last couple of days of things that I have been struggling with because I think in my own experience, I have these high standards for myself and then I don't hit them. Shocker. I miss Mm -hmm. the mark. Woo. Like way (laughs) miss the mark. And then I, and normally I can like, I can bounce back, but I feel like the Mm -hmm. last couple of days it's been like, how long have I been trying? How many years have I been trying? And I am still where I was when I felt like I was 15 or I don't know. I just, it, right. there's, some, there's some struggle and frustration in that. And I think that's why we turn to God. Right. But I still feel like I just listened to that and I was like, wow, the, there were lots of answers in that, that I needed to hear. <laughs> Personally. Well, I'll tell you that I've even never thought of it that way until you asked that question. And I've been taking a course this week about how, well, she talks about how like people will ask like, what should I do? She says, you got to ask, 
what should you think? Like, how do you want to feel? And then what thought will, will take you there? And it kind of opened my eyes. Like we do think we want to feel good all the time. And first of all, we can't, but second of all, holding ourselves to an impossible standard and like feeling shame and guilt over that doesn't help us feel good. And then it doesn't give us the results that we want. Like when I'm always walking around feeling like I'm a terrible mom and I've let my kids down again. And then they ask for a sandwich. I'm not all of a sudden like, okay, sweet. You know what I mean? Like I snap at them or I'm like, Oh, why do I have, I don't know. So it's not giving us the results that we want either. It's not like making us feel good all the time to like feel sad that we don't feel good all the time, but yeah. Oh, wow. Super profound. Thank you for sharing that and for sharing your experience that you've been through and personally how you've uh, been able to shift that to focus on God and that he's, he's the perfect parent and our heavenly mother, like they're the perfect parents and that's not your role. And so I think that's, that's really reassuring. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Right. Isn't that a relief? Oh, I'm glad I don't have that on my shoulders anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Let it go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. And I know that you are living in Okinawa on a military base. Is that true? Or are you on a military? No, we live, we live off base. You live off base. Okay. So you live off base. So what is that like? Tell us what it's like to live overseas. I, okay, listen, there's Jeff and like the Lord kind of tied and then like, okay, I better say my kids next. And then there's Okinawa. (laughs) I love living here. It's, but obviously our experience living here is different than other people's experience living overseas. And our experience being here with the military specifically would be different than other people's like expat experiences. What do you love about the weather? What is it like in Okinawa? Okay. Well, when we first flew into Japan, first of all, we applied for Europe. We did not apply for Japan. So it was a big shock and it was kind of like, all right, God tricked us into coming to Japan. Cause that's not like, that wasn't our goal at all. But We flew into Japan and landed in Tokyo. And, you know, we've been traveling for several hours. It's a really long flight. Um, And we walked into their bathroom at the airport and it was so clean. (laughs) That's what you need to know about Japan. And And then the airline workers could tell that we were confused and weren't quite sure. Like it was my first time ever even going to a foreign country. So like I've never traveled internationally before the airline workers can tell that we're like tired and disoriented and we don't know what to do. And they're just like talking in their super kind Japanese voices. Like they talk super kind and respectful and they like, normally you're at an airport and everyone's like yelling at you. And they're like, why do you have a water bottle? And I don't know. It's not enjoyable, but they walked us to our next gate where we were supposed to check in. They, and it was just like, this is, you could just tell even in the Tokyo airport, it's different here in a really good way. And so we live on a small island, like four or 500 miles south of mainland Japan. It's subtropical, which means it still has like, it gets warmer in the winter and colder in the summer. It's not like the same all year round, but like 
I never have to wear closed toed shoes, for example. I just have to like throw on a cardigan. So the weather is amazing. I really struggled in Utah because I have seasonal affective disorder. I'd get really depressed in the winter. Um, and so that's amazing to live here where there's sunshine and it, the, the culture is a very like kind, respectful culture. It's a very clean culture, like not just the restrooms, but just everything is very like clean and well taken care of. There's like a sense of honor that's ingrained into everyone and it's very safe. For example, if you leave your jacket at the park, if you forget it, you can go back the next day and someone has like hung your jacket on like a post and you can get your jacket back. Nobody takes anything that's not theirs. It's amazing. It's incredible. And what have you learned from the people besides being kind and polite and clean and respectful, which are all incredible things, which you basically told us. What else have you learned from from your experience with the, the Japanese people and maybe with the, the fellow, I don't know who else is with you. I, I imagine mm-hmm. interact with people from the military base as well. From Let me start there. So there's 50,000 military personnel stationed here, plus families, like so even more than that, Americans. And we went to church our first day and... We didn't even know if we were going to be in that ward. We were staying in a hotel and we had at least three different people that literally we just met offer us to use their car. You can drive my car for a month while you try to find a car and a house in it. And it was like, what? That doesn't happen in America. <laughs> I, I realized very soon that it's partly because cars don't cost very much money and they're not very nice cars, but still like just the generosity because all these people live overseas away from family and because most of them move every two to three years, you make friends faster. You welcome people in because you've been there. Everybody knows what it's like to be the new person. Everybody's very generous with their like time and energy. We had someone at one point we had to like move out of one of the hotels we were in because it was booked past the dates or whatever we still hadn't found a house. It took us kind of a long time. And there wasn't, we were having a hard time finding another hotel. I don't know if it was a holiday or something, but all the hotels were booked. And just this lady was like, oh yeah, you can totally live in our house. And I was like, what? (laughs) Anyway, like people, like, I don't, I didn't know her. Spoiler alert. She's the same person who loved my child when I couldn't. So Obviously, she had some some great things going for her. But yeah, everyone's just very welcoming and very willing to help each other out. And and it is true. When you don't have family nearby, you do become each other's family. And there was a time last year, my arm stopped working. Like I lost mobility in my right arm and ended up like having to go to like physical therapy and stuff like that to get it back. Both locals that I've met and people from church and people from Bible study and random strangers from Instagram were like bringing me dinner, giving me rides places. It was incredible. I like to be on the giving end of things. And I remember one time as we were bringing someone dinner and my kids were like, well, why? I know the mom had surgery, but like, can't the dad cook dinner? And I was like, well, the dad has a lot going on too now, like taking care of his wife. And like, it's okay for us to help people when they need it. And my kids were like, well, no one helps us. And I'm like, well, we don't need it. And then it was just a couple months later that my arm thing happened and they got to see people do help us. Like people are willing to. So just there's this sense of like, we've got your back. We're going to take care of you. 
no matter what, like how big or small the need is. And the locals are so generous. If we have a friend over for dinner, they always bring a gift. It like kind of stresses me out because gift giving is my bottom love language, like the very lowest. I give it almost no points. And so I'm like, what do I do? But just like our first Christmas Eve here, our neighbor came over. Our neighbor is our landlord. Um, I don't know how old she is, but like grandma age, she has grandchildren and just the sweetest sweetest grandma that I can't talk to. (laughs) Um, And she came over and like gave us all these, these beautiful gifts. Anyway, she gave my son little wooden tops and just sat on the floor with him and taught him how to spin a top. And I just sat there and cried. It was just the most beautiful moment. And we miss family, but there are just these experiences that I know we were supposed to have. I don't think that everyone's supposed to live overseas, but I just know that we were supposed to be here and have these experiences. That's so special. What has been most illuminating to you regarding living in a place that's not where you come from, not where you're born? Okay. I want to be careful how I say this. There is so much we can learn from other countries and other cultures. Growing up, we, we are taught that America is the best. My, I remember my elementary teachers saying that. Like some kid was like, who has the best military? Oh, we do. Who has the best this? Oh, we do. Like America is the best. God bless America. Well, guess what? God blesses other countries too. God blesses all his children. So like, it's fine if we say God bless America, as long as we remember that God blesses Japan and God blesses Korea and God blesses everybody Before I moved overseas, someone would go to Europe and come back and tell me about their vacation and be like, oh yeah, you have to like pay to get toilet paper or like you use a bidet. And I'm like, weird in my head because it's different. I'm like, well, that's weird. And then you just, and you think like America has superior toilet situation. (laughs) Like why of all the things are we like so proud about our toilets? And then you land in Japan. And listen, when I walk into a Japanese bathroom, not only is it clean, which is very superior to anything America offers, the toilet lid opens to greet me. There's a a heated seat. And when you go to the bathroom, there's music sounds or nature sounds to cover any, you know, to give you privacy. I like wish I could take you into my bathroom to show you how the toilet paper roll changes, but you don't have to like take the roll off, you know, the thing off and change it. Here's the roll and you just push the next one on and that one pops off. I mean, like it's so simple and so genius. And that's what I've learned is that America is not the best at everything. In fact, it's ranked like 128th on the safest countries in the world list. Where's Japan? Uh, Number nine. It's so incredibly safe there. Yeah, there's almost no crime. And they're like, listen, Japan has issues too. I'm not saying that Japan is the greatest country in, in the world, but I just think that we can learn a lot from other countries and other cultures. It's kind of confusing because America doesn't really have a culture not like a rooted grounded culture the way that because we're such a young country and we everyone comes from so many different places the way that they do in other countries you know yeah for sure I feel like Japan is a very preserved culture its history shows that too right Mm -hmm. Japanese history shows that there is like there is a there is honor right there is honor and there's kind of like things that have been passed down for 
centuries that are still showing up in the right, which in some ways is a drawback. Japan could be more welcoming. There are things that they could do better. Like it's still the legal law that like your oldest son inherits your your money, your wealth when you die. There are like there are some things that need to change. I don't know what most of them are because I don't speak the language and I'm not. I'm just viewing from an outsider's perspective. They just they have a lot of really great stuff going on. Kids walk to school when they're five years old by themselves without parents because everything is safe. Like they're not going to get kidnapped. They're not in danger in any way. There's very few car accidents because everyone's so polite. Okay, when you drive and you're trying to get in, like you need to like switch lanes, people let you in. And then if someone... If you let someone in, they flash their hazards at you to say thank you. Literally, everyone is like driving around saying thank you to each other. Instead of like road rage, it's like road gratitude. That person let me in. That's so lovely. And you drive around feeling good. You're just like, oh, well, that was the nicest. Of course, I'm going to let you in. Like, and thank you for letting me in. And we're just, it's kind of, they bow here when they greet you. And when they say thank you, they bow. And it's kind of like a little bow. Like you're out on the road driving 25 miles an hour and you're just like all bowing to each other. That is so beautiful. (laughs) What a beautiful. Isn't it though? It's like these little things. That's incredible. I'm thinking of California, my recent trip to California. And literally when we hit the border and I know everybody says Utah has the worst drivers, but whoa. I hit California and I was reminded that there's a lot of people living in that state and there are lots of people going fast places and it was wild for me. It was a shock. Yeah, and you it's scary to try to get in to a lane in California. You got to have a backseat driver with you if you're not like from there. <laughs> I'll tell you when to go, Jeff, and you better go right when I say it or we're all going to die. Yeah, it, that is just so beautiful. And how do you think we can appreciate our lives when it doesn't seem as sexy? <laughs> I loved this question, mostly because my almost 11-year-old daughter has recently been like, don't say that word, mom, dad. <laughs> okay. I listen. <laughs> okay. I'm going to give you like a kind of long story, but I remember when we lived in Utah reading an article about a family who like the husband had developed an app and sold it for millions of dollars and they were traveling the world. And I was like, as I read that article, I was like, well, how come my husband's talent is to teach multiplication to third graders? Like that is his talent. Like he doesn't want to do anything else. He loves his job. He was made for this job. He's good at it. I'm grateful that he can do it, but like, I might be more grateful if he sold an app for millions of dollars and we could travel the world. I'm just saying. So I knelt down and told Heavenly Father, I was like, listen, if you want to like guide us to some awesome thing and we'll make millions of dollars and like, trust me, I will do good with it. Like I will build the kingdom. You know, I know that's not how prayer works, right? But I just did it anyway. I just said it anyway. And then about a day later, after some reflecting, my prayer was this. Heavenly Father, how can I build thy kingdom with the gifts and talents that I've been given? 
And it totally changed my perspective because listen, there is something sexy about traveling the world, but also if you've ever been on a vacation with kids, you know that it brings out the worst in everyone. So maybe it's not as awesome as it seems, but there's something to be said of that, that it's like glamorous and fun. And, um, and so I got an answer to that and it wasn't moving overseas originally. It wasn't, um, But I just took that answer and felt peace with it. Like, okay, if this is what God wants me to do, I'm going to do it. And it's going to be awesome. And like, this is, you know, I want to do what he wants me to do. And at one point we had like wanted to downsize our home because I hated being in debt. It was the only debt we ever had. But for some reason, I just really let it get to me. Like it wasn't even our mortgage payment was like $750. It wasn't even like a lot of, (laughs) I know it's like funny to me. You know, oh my word, Utah. Oh, was that was that like, your payment in, in Utah? Yes, we had made like a 20% down payment, but we also bought when the market was low, and so we our home was like 2,500 square feet, and it wasn't like, like super high end, but it was nice and you know, new carpet and stuff. And yeah, our mortgage payment was that was that cheap. Okay. But it really bothered me to be in debt. And so I, it was the only debt we'd ever had. And it just, I was like, why can't we like build more momentum and get out of this faster? I want to travel. I want to do these things. And I felt like I couldn't until I had, I like, I had to pay off my debt first, you know? And so we like went around and house shopped and by then the market had risen enough, not like anything where it is now, but it had risen enough that like what we could buy with our money, was like a shack that smelled like dog pee. Okay. So, so then this house opened up on the market and it like had all this land and it was for sure a fixer upper, but I was like, we could do it. And, and God said, the Holy ghost said in my mind, wait three years. And I was like, okay, I can do that. Like, I mean, isn't that what we all kind of want sometimes? Like, tell me when I'm going to get married. Tell me, like, I can wait. I just would like to know when, like, when am I going to have that baby that like, I feel like it's coming, but it's taken 15 years of fertility. You know, like we all just want to just tell me when, and then I can manage it, you know? So I feel like I was getting like the ideal answer, like wait three years. And I'm like, awesome. I can wait three years. So I just knew like something better was going to come in three years. One year later, I felt like we were supposed to put our house up for sale and Jeff was supposed to apply to this job that he has now. Um, Lots of people told us it would take years to get hired. And lots of people told us we were crazy for putting our house up for sale when he didn't have a job offer yet. A lot of people have opinions about what you're going to do, but like, what's God's opinion? That should be your opinion. And then it doesn't matter what anyone else's opinion is because nobody else If we had listened to opinions of even people who love us and care about us, we wouldn't live here, but we would be the ones living with the results of that. And I felt very stagnant where we were. What I thought I wanted was to like buy like a dumpy house on five acres that like didn't have water rights. And what God gave me because I waited, what God gave me was like a beautiful home on a hill overlooking the ocean on a tropical island where Jeff has a better paying job, where we get to fly home every summer to see our family. And I don't have depression anymore because I have sunshine and, and Jeffrey's anxiety is not as severe. And our kids have these opportunities 
to do these things that we, we just wouldn't have ever done or, or maybe we would have eventually, but it would have taken us longer, you know, to get there. Just something as simple as like, I learned to swim when I moved here. That's cool. I always thought it would be cool to swim. And now I snorkel and it's, and it's incredible. Just like these opportunities, like what I thought I wanted, like God gave me something so much better. And to me, it's even better than making millions of dollars and traveling the world. Because that's not how God intended me to impact people. He wanted me to love my friends and like show up for them when they need it. And, and it's harder to do that. It would be hard for me to do that if I was traveling. And anyway, I'm not saying that traveling the world is a bad idea or that it's not what someone else is supposed to do. It just wasn't what we were supposed to do. God can give us something greater, but we do have to listen to his voice. Sometimes it's harder but it's still better, even if it doesn't always feel like that at the time. I'm sorry, this is going to sound like we're retroactivating a question, but I, I no, that's fine. came to me and I, I want to ask it. So when you were having your postpartum depression, did you feel like your husband or was trying to like protect you or save you from your bad emotions? How, was there ever like a, and I know this may sound weird, but like this effort to protect each other, like, oh, I don't want you to feel so badly, like, and feeling helpless, this helpless situation. Did that ever happen for your spouse? First of all, you should know that it's never been in any instinct of mine to protect somebody else. <laughs> I don't try to like protect my children from pain and disappointment. Like, I know some parents are like that and whatever, like they can work through that. That's just never been my instinct. I'm like, let them fall and hit their head. And then they're going to learn to like, look where they're walking or maybe they won't. And they'll just keep falling and hitting their head, you know? So like it's, it was never in me to like protect Jeffrey. Well, I guess that's not true. When I first, first of all, I had depression before I had a baby. It was just seasonal depression. And I didn't recognize it because we lived in Idaho where it was cold. And when, and around the time when my depression was the worst was like finals. So I just like associated, like, I didn't associate it with depression. It was just like, I'm stressed. It's finals. And then I went to Southern Utah where it was warm and my depression went away. Does that make sense? So it was our first year being married where we stayed in Idaho for this, because now my husband has a job. And so we stayed there and that's when I realized what it was. I wasn't in finals anymore, but I realized like I'm depressed. And, and yes, the first time telling him I was scared, like it's a scare. It feels scary to say it once you say it to, to one person. And now it doesn't feel, I tell everybody, I'm like, oh yeah, I had depression. Let me tell you about it. Like I bond with so many people, strangers at the park, you know, like I'll talk about it all day long is if anyone wants to listen and I'll listen all day long to anyone else's story. So yes, there was that initial, like, I don't want him to feel, you know, disappointed or whatever. I, I don't know why I thought he was going to feel, but so like a little bit, I think the other way around though, I, I feel like I know what you're saying. And for us, I used to have an eating addiction, a food addiction. That's what I mean. Now everyone has to eat and everyone has to eat food. I understand that. But my, like, I did not have 
a healthy relationship with eating. And Jeffrey wanted to be able to fix that. I think maybe that's what you're asking. And so that didn't show up as much with postpartum depression, although it did a little bit. It showed up more with my eating addiction that he wanted like, well, how can I help you? Do you want me to remind you? Do you want me to exercise with you? Do you want me to whatever? He wanted to know like what he could do to fix me. I don't think he thought of it that way. He, I think he just wanted to help me and support me. But, but I've had friends who know my story with eating and like how I've overcome that. And then, and they have a husband who's struggling with being overweight and, and the, and it does affect us. Like it affects our chemicals and stuff. And so like maybe depression from unhealthy habits and they come to me and they're like, well, what can I do to help him? And I'm like, like, stop. You just, you love him, but you can't, you can't fix this problem for him. And there's nothing you can do. No amount of healthy meals you can make. That's going to change him. He has to change when he's ready. And I know that's not the answer people want to hear, but like no one could fix my depression for me. Like I had to, that was just a journey that I had to walk. And there are people who can help us walk it like therapists. I started going to therapy last year. It's so cool. Why didn't I do that earlier? I should have. <laughs> and did that lead you to doing the plant-based diet or, or why do you like what, what yes. looks that? Yeah. So my, so actually my sister went to a class and, and learned about like the way we eat and the way it affects our emotions and like our mental well-being. So she kind of gave me some information basically saying like, this might help you with your depression. Um, so originally it was less about like my eating addict, like my food addiction and more about my mental well-being um, and emotional well-being. And so I learned a little bit about it. And I just, I, I know that like the internet works this way that once you like find out something, like all of a sudden you get more information about it. But I just started seeing a lot of things about it that were like kind of testimonials of like, this is how I used to live. This is how I live now. And a plant-based diet helped me with that. And I know that it's not for everyone. I, but I, I for sure feel like God was guiding me to it and placing these like testimonials in front of me, like a mouth, the mouth of two or three witnesses. Like that was the thought that came to mind. Like the fourth time I saw something and my sister had given me this information. And so I kind of started trying it, but I also had, I have chronic stomach pain and it happens like every four to six weeks and it's awful. And like, I'm like hunched over crying from it. So that had started and at first it was every few months and then it became like every month. And then it became like every two weeks. And right around when we moved to Okinawa, um, we had kind of eliminated most dairy and meat from my diet, but I ate a yogurt and I got super sick again. I was like on the couch in pain for five days in a hotel, like I, not even in my own house, but you know, that's when it kind of clued me in. Like, I, I think I ate yogurt in all the situations where I ended up getting sick because I liked yogurt and it seemed like a healthy choice. So that's when I decided to cut it out, but we still ate like meat sometimes and but I didn't eat yogurt. 
And, and then I met someone once again, like the witnesses thing, I met someone who had like watched a documentary and had decided to become vegan. And so I was like, Jeff, watch this with me. And he was like, it it was very eye opening for him. And, and him being on board was the thing that changed it the most was like, all right, let's try it. So we tried it for a while and then went to Christmas parties. And I was like, well, you know, in times of Thanksgiving, like it's fine. Well, that I think that works great for some people. And for me, it doesn't. Being sick on Christmas Day was the worst. And being sick on our family vacation that we had planned for two days after Christmas, because I was sick for several days because of how I had eaten. And so I was like, that's it. I'm going to give it all up. We're going to, you know. So then we ate very clean again for, I feel like this is the longest story ever. We ate really clean again for like six weeks. And then I decided like, I just feel so much better, even though it it didn't cure my stomach pain, but my stomach pain became less severe and less like less frequent for a while. Anyway, I just was like, all right, I'm going to clean out my freezer, clean out my fridge, throw away everything. And I found like a pie leftover from whenever. And I was like, all right, well, we'll just all eat a slice of pie first. (laughs) And then I was sick for five days. And then I was like, this isn't worth it. Like one slice of pie for five days of pain. Like that's a horrible decision. So that was about four years ago, almost exactly. Cause it was in February just after we'd moved here. And so I don't eat processed sugar. I don't eat meat. I don't eat dairy. I just eat the fruit of the vine. (laughs) Wow. I don't eat joy and happiness. Just kidding. <laughs> so I'm curious about, do you, um, do you handle soy products? Can you do tofu? Oh, yeah. My kids love tofu. Yeah. I just discovered it and I, I crave it now. Yeah. We, we use tofu, edamame. Yeah. We use all that. That's amazing. Can you tell us something that you're like, this is my favorite plant-based. Like, could you tell us a couple of things that you eat, like a go-to food? Like what yes. does day look like in eating for you? I, I'm very curious about this because I have tried it several, I've gone in and out of doing that, but it's my preference to eat low meat. I don't like a lot of meat anyway. So just preference, preferentially, I don't love a lot of meat, but. Okay. First, can I say, cause I left this part out of the story. I don't have an eating addiction, a food addiction anymore. And that was the thing that I gained the most. Not only did it like reduce my stomach and stuff, but you know, when you have an addiction, your life kind of revolves around an addiction. And I thought about food all the time. Like, am I going to eat that candy bar that I know is in the cupboard? And then I think about it and think about it and think about it. And I'm like, I'm just going to go eat it so I can stop thinking about it. You know, like, and then I'd go to a party and there would be a cookie and like Jeffrey would eat one cookie and I would eat 12 and go home and feel like the world's biggest piece of poop because I'd eaten 12. And so like, So people are sometimes like, oh, I'm so sorry that you have to eat this way. And I'm like, I just, my life is hundred percent more joyful because I am in control of what I eat. And my life doesn't revolve around food anymore. Like I still have to think about it and put a lot of effort into it because it takes effort to like prep, you know, um, like a plant-based meal, but, but I am free. Like God freed me from my addiction by showing me this. And like, I wouldn't, even if I knew my stomach issues wouldn't come back, like even if I knew I could eat that way and not have stomach pain, I wouldn't choose it because of all the emotional pain that I suffered living that way. So that's the first thing I want to say. Okay. I eat like 
a huge smoothie every single morning for breakfast. Um, I'm trying to think like how many ounces, I don't know, a lot. And then sometimes like a little mid morning, like protein ball that I, that like that we make ourselves, not like a store-bought. And then lunch is either like a salad with lots of yummy stuff on it or, um, leftovers usually preferably. And then, yeah, I don't know. We eat a lot of hummus, <laughs> veggies and hummus is like our go-to. Like if we're going to the beach and we would just want to pack a lunch, we have lots of hummus in the fridge. Um, do you make your hummus? And then, yeah, I like, what do you, do you make your hummus? No. And people are always confused by this. Like if you're vegan, (laughs) but I make almost everything from scratch. Like I make salad dressings. I make, you know, like I'm always making stuff, chopping the vegetables, doing all that stuff. And I just find great joy in having one thing that I don't have to make. That is so good. I can buy that from the store. (laughs) And, and because it's like our easy thing, like for going on a hike or, you know, if we just need to pack food or if I need to bring food because I'm going to someone's house for dinner, but I know that I'm not going to get full on what they're going to provide, like on what I can eat out of what they're making. Um, then I know I can get full with some veggies and hummus. So yeah, I just buy it. Sabra is sponsoring this podcast. Hey, Sabra, send me some free hummus. I've kept you in business all these years. Do me a solid. And do you have, and you don't need any gluten either? No gluten? Oh, I love gluten. Okay. Feed me all the gluten. I, I like cut it out. Like I got tested and in that time period, I like cut it out for a while and it, it just didn't make any difference. Um, I love bread. I have to be very careful. Like it turns out I can't eat like 12 tortillas in one sitting. I don't know why (laughs) my stomach doesn't like that. It seems unfair, but like, whatever, that's just one of the trials I have to deal with in my life. That's so interesting, though. I am so proud of you for finding a way and doing it with zest. That is so exciting. It feels good to eat good. It feels good. That was the thing I noticed the most is like my even just after every single meal, like I'm not overeating every meal and I like my body digests the food that I give it instead of like feeling all wonky. I just thought that's how everyone felt after eating until you stop feeling like that after eating and you realize there's a better way. Yeah, that is so wonderful. And then the last thing, I know you're a big book reader. So tell us about, tell us some book recommendations. I also know you're a painter, but yeah, let's, let's just go straight for the books. I have the hardest time with this question. I literally wrote nothing down. Um, Patricia Holland wrote a book called A Quiet Heart. I was given that book in college when I was in college and I read it and I, and it did, it quieted my heart. And I think that that's something that I appreciate now is to like quiet my heart and to settle it. I don't, it's been so long since I read it, like read it like 15 years, you know, I have no idea what was in it, (laughs) but I, that book was very like impactful for me. Um, 
One of my favorite quotes from that book, I wrote it down. We must have the courage to be imperfect while striving for perfection. Um, and we must remember to rejoice over all that is good in us. There's a quote that goes along with our marriage conversation about like looking for the good. And um, anyway, I, I like really should have written down recommendations. I just wrote a book, but it has a swear word in the title. So I don't know if we can recommend that on your podcast. Well, is it good? Um, I feel like I, it's funny because Ember, I mean, oops. Uh, it's funny because my daughter was like, mom, she was like sounding it out. It has an asterisk in it, you know, like it doesn't say the word, but yeah, you know, she was like sounding it out and we were like, oh, don't say that, honey. Like it's a bad word. And she's like, mom, why did you buy, why did you check out a book from the library with a bad word in it? Um, it's called how to get done how to get stuff done. We'll say. Yeah. Um, and it, I feel like I felt compelled to grab it and I don't know why. Cause I don't like swearing at all. Um, but so there's definitely like, listen, don't recommend this to anybody. It like there, there, it says some F words. There's some like periods of language. Um, but it was a really impactful book for where I was at in my life. I just read it like in November, December. And basically the theme is like, let go of the stuff that's not important for you. And like kind of rethinking what is necessary in our lives, because we grew up with these things that were taught, like something as simple as like, I should make dinner. Well, well, should I like, you know what I mean? And, and like, there's part of me that's like, oh my goodness, of course you should. Like you're the mother, like, and not even whether like me versus Jeffrey or my kids or whatever, but just like, well, you know, it is okay to buy dinner sometimes too. And if that's something that's going to like help me, I don't, I don't know. Providing a home cooked meal is wonderful. But if I'm providing a home cooked meal while I'm screaming at my kids, cause I'm so overwhelmed, that's not what. God intended for my life. And so like, if on a day where I'm just feeling stretched thin, I have Jeffrey pick up some takeout, I'm still providing for my family and I'm showing up for them in a way that like actually matters. The home cooked meal doesn't matter. So I feel like it was a good book for me to like sift through what are my expectations for myself? What actually really matters? What can I let go of that's not bringing me joy or that's not, that's not fulfilling its purpose. Even if it, even if at one time it was like, I used to be a photographer, like up until about a month ago. And then I just realized like, it was wonderful in my life during that time. And it's not working in my life anymore. And it's okay to let go of it and not, and like, maybe I'll come back to it and maybe I won't, but it's not serving me right now and my family. And it's not giving me the results that I desire. So I just let it go. And it's been wonderful. Like it freed up so much like mental energy, physical energy. Anyway, so that book helped me kind of like work through that kind of stuff. And I cringed a little at the swear words, but you know. Yeah, but I feel like when when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And sometimes we just have to be open to to the teacher. (laughs) What are your recommendations? This book I'm reading with a group called The Power of Eight. And it's very good. It's all about the the power of gathering together for a healing intention for other people. And it's incredible. Cool. Basically the science behind healing and how we heal each other by sending each other healing intentions. And I mean, prayer or whatever we want to, but we just 
sending somebody a healing intention. And there's so many times where I say like, oh yeah, I'll pray for you. And then do I pray for the person? And so I've been trying to be better at like thinking of like, I can see you in Japan and actually sending you like a healing being like, please help her to heal. Like send mm-hmm. her love and whatever. And, and intentionally send it for like one minute, you know, not just like an intentional feeling of love or a feeling of healing or whatever it may be. And I have had some really amazing experiences just with that. And I've only read the first like few, few pages of this book. And that's amazing. Isn't there power in being like very intentional? I, about a year ago, I started going to a Bible study, all different denominations. There were just like four or five of us. And I showed up the first day. I didn't know any of these women. Like I literally had, I'd met one briefly and like, didn't know anybody else. And the first, they all sit down and get settled and they're like, any prayer requests? And then they all start saying like what, like a specific thing that they want. And I was like, why don't we do this? (laughs) I do it with Jeffrey sometimes, like sometimes on Sundays when we do like our uh, family council, our couple council, navigators council, whatever you call it. I'll say like, is there any specific way I can pray for you this week? but it was just so powerful. Like we got to know what was really going on in each other's lives. And like the first day I just was like, I don't know, help me not yell at my kids. But then like, I got better at saying, yeah, like, yes, you can pray that I will have like the wisdom to let go of the things that aren't important or the, the courage to, you know, I don't know, whatever it was. And it really, yeah, there is power in that. That's so cool. I love it. I'm, I'm into Exodus reading through it. Like a little, I went, I like, I binged Genesis. It was ridiculous. I read through Genesis so fast and I was like, that is the weirdest experience. I've never like binged the scriptures. I know that sounds weird, but it felt like I was just like, wait, what's next? What happened? Mm-hmm. Wait, this happened? Like this stuff happened. Right. And, and I, right. Was, I was seriously fascinated. It Um, is interesting because like we, I feel like I know the Book of Mormon like really well for the most part. Sometimes I'm still like, oh, I forgot about that part. But like, I know the stories, I know the, the quotable scriptures, but then like, I'm like, Jeff, why did I think that they were on the ark for 40 days? And like, no, they were on there for like way longer. Like, right. But like, everyone's like 40 days and 40 nights. No, that's just how long it rained. Yeah. Like they were on there for way longer. And just, yeah, those like little moments where you're like, what? And it is, it's different to read it as an adult and like, yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely getting a lot more out of it and I'm a lot more fascinated by how crazy it is. And then when I think I have problems, I read Genesis and Exodus and feel better about them. So it's really great. The power of comparison in my life working out just great. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just kidding anyway, but you know, it's like President Hinckley, he's like, most of our problems are pretty manageable. Come on, kids, buck up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love it. Well, is there anything I haven't asked you that you wanted to say? Oh my goodness. I don't know. Pro- I'll probably think of it later, but yeah, whatever you said, I'm sure is fine. <laughs> well, I, I am so grateful for you. This was an absolute treat. And everyone who listens to this is going to be so delighted that they got to hear all the wonderful wisdom and the hilarious way you, you say things and, and share your stories. I was very entertained. I will be honest. 
And also, I was so touched just by the depth of this interview. So thank you so much, Lori. And I want you to know I'm so grateful for who you are and that you have embraced the gift and the gifts that God's given you.